if you'll remain standing at this time and uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy is the fifth book in the Bible, so it's kind of towards the beginning. Deuteronomy 30 verses 1 through 11. And uh, uh, if it seems a little bit uh, kind of odd to you as I read this or you're not familiar with this, just know that I'll explain it during the sermon. But um, what you need to know about this before we read it is that Israel has wandered in the wilderness, and they have failed God over and over again. And yet in these words, God reminds his people of his intention to fulfill his covenant with him, that he still wants them to be his people, even after all of the failure. So Deuteronomy chapter 30, starting in verse 1, going into verse 11, it says, And when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, And you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you. And return to the Lord your God, you and your children. And obey his voice in all that I command you today with all your heart and with all your soul. Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you. And he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will take you. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it. And he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. And the Lord your God will put all these curses on your foes and enemies who persecuted you. And you shall again obey the voice of the Lord and keep all his commandments that I command you today. Then the Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your womb, and in the fruit of your cattle, and in the fruit of your ground. For the Lord will again take delight in prospering you. As he took delight in your fathers, when you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that are written in this book of the law, when you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. May God bless this word. You may be seated at this time. I want to welcome you to White Oak this morning. Uh, If you are new or visiting with us this morning, my name is John Wethington. I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, we're just so glad that you're with us. And uh, if you're new, then what you need to understand is we've been going through the entire Bible in five months, which is a pretty ambitious task, as we have said before. Uh, it's been an exhilarating journey preparing these sermons and these talks, but it's, it's been the most challenging, to be honest with you, because summing up a lot of what God has done in a short sermon is, is not always the most easy thing to do. And so we began all the way several weeks back in, in Genesis 1 when God creates the world. And so God creates a good world, and it's good, and he loves it, and he creates humans, you and me, in his image. But then we saw that humanity fell and we rebelled against God and we kind of went our own path and tried to live our own way. And then, uh, so the world was broken. As you can see today, it's still broken in a lot of different ways. But thousands of years ago, God looked down on a man named Abraham and he said, Abraham, through you, I'm going to bless 
all nations. And through you and through the nation that I'm going to build through you, which ended up becoming Israel, all the nations of the world will be blessed. I'm going to do a redeeming work through you and through your people. And yet there was a problem because this great nation that was supposed to form eventually migrates to Egypt and they get enslaved there, as we saw last week. So they get enslaved in Egypt. And so God's people are like, oh my goodness, we're supposed to be God's people. We're supposed to be this light to the world. And yet we're enslaved. So they, they cry out to God to help them. And God raises up a guy named Moses, as we saw last week. And Moses leads God's people out of slavery through God's power. And yet then here's the problem. They get freed, and then we come to this place in the story today where they begin to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. They're trying to find the promised land. They're trying to get there. And yet the problem that they're having is they keep worshiping false idols. And so God refuses to deliver them into the promised land. And so today I have the privilege and the honor of walking you through probably the three most boring books of the Bible, if we're going to be very honest, right? Uh, this, this privilege of trying to make this exciting, right? And, and it is exciting, and a lot of cool stuff does happen, but for most people who have ever tried to read the Bible, you know, like you really ambitious people, you're like, I'm going to read the Bible an entire year. I'm a pastor. I've never even done that, right? I can't do that. That's just, it's just too much, right? And, and, but some of you do it, and some of you have done it, and yet everyone always explains Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy as what they call the wilderness of Bible reading, right? Because it's so boring, and, and there's all these rules, and, and we have very little cultural framework or understanding for how to understand this, right? So you're, you're reading stuff about like lambs and goats and cattle and sacrificing animals, and you know, you got to have your hair a certain length, and we're just reading this thinking, what in the world is all this stuff, Right? And so, but, but where we come today is this moment between being freed from slavery in Egypt. So Israel has been freed, and yet they're not yet in the promised land. And there's this like in-between kind of season that they are in. And it gets so bad because the problem is, is like literally they're supposed to go to the promised land, but, but God gives them this commandment and ultimately the Ten Commandments saying, you should have no other gods before me. God basically begins telling Israel, if you want to be my people, right, if you want to be this people that blesses the entire world, this holy and beautiful people, this is the way that you should live. He gives the Ten Commandments and ultimately 613 different laws that they need to follow to be this people. But it's a, but it's a blessing and it's a good thing because he's teaching them how to do this. And yet the problem is they keep failing, right? And there's this, there's this moment when like in, in, at the end of Exodus, Whenever uh, God is telling Moses how to build this tabernacle that God wants him to build, because they're going to build this tabernacle and the presence of God is going to dwell there. And literally, as Moses is up on this mountain getting this uh, understanding of the tabernacle from God, they look down, and Aaron, Moses' brother, who's a leader, and all these Israelites are building this golden calf to worship. And Moses is just like face palming it, you know? He's like, this is awful, you know? And God's like, these people just do not get it, right? I want them to be my people. I want to be their God. I want to bless them them. And so eventually it gets so bad, and the people are, are so rebellious that in Numbers thirty two thirteen it says, and the Lord's anger was kindled against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And so all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was gone. What God says is that that generation was not faithful to me, but I will raise up a new generation, and they will enter into the promised land. And yet the idea that I think we need to see today, once again, I'm trying to sum up like three and a half books of a lot of stuff into kind of a, a phrase that our world understands today, right? I'm trying to, trying to sum this up for us, right? And I think what I've came up with is that in the wilderness, we see Israel can't live up 
but God won't give up on them. In the wilderness, we see Israel can't live up to God's standards, but God will not give up on them. How many times in your life have you failed God and yet he was faithful to you? We see in this image that God is so faithful to his people and the work that he began because God made a covenant with Abraham saying, I will bless you. I will bless you. I will create a nation out of you. It will redeem the world. And because God made a promise to him back then, God always keeps his promises to his people. Even when they go astray, even when they worship idols and build golden calves, God says, look, I will work you into being my people because I love you and because I've said that I'm going to renew the world through you. And I think a way to maybe understand this, and this really helped me this week, is um, one of my favorite movies that I grew up with was, was The Replacements, right? You ever, you ever seen The Replacements, that movie? It's like on TBS like 24-7, right? I watch it all the time, right? Um, it's like Remember the Titans. It's always on TV, right? And I, I thought maybe since it's like Super Bowl Sunday, I can use a football uh, illustration. I try not to do that too much, even though I love football, right? Because I don't want to bore you guys. But today I can do it because it's Super Bowl Sunday, right? Um, but there's this, uh, there's this uh, movie where... Essentially, there's this, like, professional um, football team, right? And uh, all the guys on the professional football team are your classic guys who, like, they're making, like, $10 million a year, and yet they still think they, they deserve more money, right? And so uh, because the owner won't give them even more money, the whole football team walks out. And they're like, okay, we're not doing this. We're leaving. And so it's the middle of the season, and there's this professional football team, and they have no players. And yet the owner wants to continue the football season and end it out, right? And so, like, you know, I don't care if those guys walk out. We're going to go get a bunch of other players. We're going to pull guys off the street, and we're going to create this team. And so they, they start pulling out all these ragtag guys off the street, right? Guys that, like, were in college but never made it in the pros and guys that had injuries. They're literally picking up some guys out of prison, right, to come play on this football team, right? And so they're putting this team together, and they give them this legendary coach who's supposed to take this ragtag bunch of people and turn them into a winning football team in the NFL, and the coach comes in, the classic store. There's a lot of movies like this where the coach comes in. He's like, okay, look, if you want to be the kind of football team you want to be, if you want to have success, you got to eat right. You got to practice right. You got to buy into the system, right? You got to work hard. You got to believe in one another. You got you to watch everything that you do. And he basically gives them a bunch of rules and laws to live by in order to become what they want to become. Another illustration of this that might fit for some of you more sci-fi people is uh, in Star Wars, when Luke Skywalker wants to become a Jedi, right? He gets sent to a guy named Yoda, right? I rewatched it this week. It's just a wonderful scene when Luke finds Yoda and he doesn't realize he's, like, he, he thinks Yoda's like some guy in his way, but really he's the Jedi master that he needs, right? So cool, right? Anyway, so he goes and finds Yoda, and Yoda is supposed to help transform him into the Jedi that he needs to become. That's the whole point. He's like this, this guiding force to help him come what he needs to become. And that's, I think, a modern somewhat equivalent for what the law was for Israel. Because we look at the law, we think, man, why does God have all these laws and these regulations? Like, what's, he, what, what's going on? Why does he care about these things? And what God is doing in the Ten Commandments and in the law that we see in Leviticus, Numbers, and then in Deuteronomy, is he's basically saying, look, this is how my people look. If you want to be the nation that blesses all nations— if you want to have the blessing of God on your life, if you want me to bless what you are doing, this is the kind of people that you need to become. God gives his people the things that they should do because he loves them. 
And whenever you come to the Bible and you're reading all these things that God wants you to do, I think we often become bitter and we feel like God's trying to control our life and he's trying to just tell us what to do and he's just trying to make us be nonconformist to, to the culture just because we're supposed to be nonconformist, right? Like he, we think like, like, why does he give me all these things that I have to do with my life? And what God does, he says, look, I want to make you beautiful. I want to make you my people. I want to make you a light into the world. And so if you will follow these things, it will, it will protect you in this life. It will guide you. It will make you into the people that you need to become. If you want to be the greatest people in the world, this is how you should live. If you want to bless all nations and love God and love people, these are the things that you need to do. And yet the problem is, is that Israel keeps failing over and over and over and over again. And because they keep failing, God says, okay, look, you're going to wander in the wilderness. You're going to wander here. Because this promised land that I'm taking you to is meant for people, ultimately, who want to be in relationship with me. And he's like, if you want me, you can have me. If you want the God of the universe to walk with you and to live in this perfect land, you can have that. But you can't worship a golden calf. You can't worship money. You can't worship a singular human relationship. You can't worship a circumstance. You can't have that and then give your whole heart to the one true God who loves you. And so they wander in this wilderness. And here's the wonder of the story this morning is that after all of this, God will not let his people go. God will not let his people go. In a weird way, the same way that God was telling them in Egypt or telling Pharaoh, let my people go, he brings them out into the wilderness, and then he's looking to them and saying, let my people go. From the idols and the things that you're worshiping that don't bring the satisfaction and fulfillment that you want in this life, let my people go. And in this, we see God is so patient. He is so kind. He is so loving. He is so forgiving. He is so merciful while also being perfectly just, holy, and pure. And I think that the main application of all this, as I try to really boil this down in a quick amount of time, I think the main application for your life and for my life in this is that in the wilderness, God teaches his people how to be his people. In the wilderness, God teaches you how to be his child. In the wilderness, in those seasons when you don't know what God's doing with your life and you don't know where things are going and you don't like the circumstances and you don't like what's going on and you're in pain and you're hurting, be, be confident that God is working in your life, that he is preparing you to be a person that blesses all the nations of the world with the love of God. You know, the wilderness is actually a key theme in the Bible. There are so many different wilderness experiences in the Bible. Abraham has his own wilderness experience. His son Isaac, and then you go down to Joseph, he has a wilderness experience. And then you go to, to, to Moses and, and, and the Israelites in Egypt, they have a wilderness experience. And then you go to King David, he has a wilderness experience of sorts. You go to John the Baptist, that guy lives in the wilderness, right? I mean, he's just always, like, his whole life is just spent in the wilderness crying out that, that Jesus is coming. And then, and then Jesus comes, like, like, like God in the flesh, like fully God, fully man to save the world, to be everything we couldn't be. Jesus Christ comes, and he has a 40-day wilderness experience. In the Christian life, there are seasons of wilderness. And they're common. And they come upon us when we're not expecting it. 
a circumstance that kind of came out of nowhere, a, a change of maybe job or relationship, or maybe you're in a season in your life where you just can't seem to find God for anything. You're in the season of wilderness and things feel dry and, and, and you pray and, and you wonder if God is really there with you and, and we get in these seasons of wilderness. And what happens in the season of wilderness is our idols begin to lure us into the desert. People say, well, how come I go into the wilderness? And the reason we go into wilderness, the Bible says, is because we follow our idols and the things that we worship there. We follow these things into the wilderness. And he said, well, what is an idol? An idol is anything that you love more or want more than God. Or anything that you depend on more than God or look to more than God. And we begin to worship these things, you know. And, and so we say, well, what's an equivalent for today? I don't know, maybe like money. Maybe, maybe a certain circumstance in life, maybe a certain job, maybe a certain way people view you. This thing that you want more than anything, and, and I guarantee you've got one. There's something that you really, really, really want badly. And you want this thing. And the scary part about it is even if you got it, then it would be worse. I can't tell you how many musicians and actors that I've admired and I wished I was them. And then they, they end up taking their own life because it's not satisfying. They got everything that we all think that we want. It's this wilderness experience. And, and then even when you get what you want, even when you do build the golden calf, you start worshiping it and it doesn't make your life any better. And you feel distant from God and it's unfulfilling and it's unsatisfactory. And now we're out in the wilderness and we're wandering around and it feels so far to go back to God. And yet all along, God calls us to worship him and worship him alone because nothing is better than God. Nothing in the world is better better than God. He's better than money, and he's better than a relationship. He's better than any circumstance you could ever. Do. He is so much better. As James often says when he, he teaches up here, he says that as, as in Christianity, we offer a far superior pleasure. It's not just about all the stuff you can't do. We offer you the greatest thing in the world and that is the presence of God in your life. St. Augustine said that our souls are restless until they find their rest in God. And you want to know the, the ironic part in this whole story of the wilderness? You, you want to know the thing Israel just didn't seem to get? Because this whole time they were in this wilderness where we often find ourselves. And they, they wanted to go to the promised land. And yet what they just kept missing was that the promised land was not about a place, it was about a presence. The promised land was only good in so much that God was there. The promise, it wasn't like this, like, like, this like special little, you know, geography in the world where this, you know, I mean, I mean, God had made it that way. God could have made any land the promised land flowing with milk and honey. The promised land was only good because God was there. The promised land is not a place, it's not a circumstance. The promised land is the presence of God in your life when you are walking with him and when you're obeying him and when he's blessing you and you're in this relationship with him. And, and regardless of what comes in your life, you know that he's with you and you're, you're, you're achieving your purpose in life, which is to worship him and to live for him and to love others in his name. So often we, we go around looking for a certain thing in our life, a certain place that we want to go. But there is no place that will satisfy you. It is only the presence of the Holy 
living and true God. Your soul was created for this. There was this moment this past Wednesday when we had a, we had a worship night in here. And, uh, and it was an amazing time. We had like over 70 people gathered in here just singing to Jesus. I mean, it was, it was a very special time. And there was this moment when, I forgot what song we were singing, but it was one of those moments where like kind of the music dies down and you just hear the people of God singing and you can hear the voices of the crowd. And I remember thinking to myself in that moment, there is, there is nowhere in the world I would rather be right now than right here in this place. And as I was saying that in my heart, trust me, I was still aware that the Bahamas existed, right? <laughs> still aware of that. I love Destin, Florida, right? I'm sure the Rockies are beautiful, right? I like if, I've been a couple different places in Switzerland that I like a lot. The valley in Arizona is pretty. Grand Canyon, I want to go there one day. Um, but I was in the presence of God. And in a way that was very different from my normal everyday life. I just remember thinking to myself, man, I would rather be nowhere else than here right now. And it doesn't matter what my circumstance or my geography is. All that matters is that God is here with me. And I'm trying my best to follow and obey him. In your life, the promised land is not about a place. It's about a presence. It's about the presence of God. And I'll close with this, and I'll close with some really, really good news. The really good news is that in the wilderness, we, we fail and we fall short and things don't work out sometimes and all these things happen and, you know, things aren't going the way that we want them to go. And, and we, we let our idols lead us astray and we feel so imperfect when God is perfect and we feel this guilt and this shame in our life for not living up. The amazing reality is that there is one who went into the wilderness and who did not fall. If you have your Bible, I'm going to close with this in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. This is beautiful, and this means everything for your life this morning. In Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11, this is Jesus being tempted in the wilderness for 40 days and for 40 nights, the same way that Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years. It's like a symbolic moment where Jesus is fulfilling this, what they couldn't fulfill themselves. In Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's depending on God. And then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And yet Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. As we close today, what the gospel says 
is that Jesus was perfect in the wilderness for you. One of the biggest problems with the human experience is we try to be something we could never be. We try to be perfect. We, we try to earn God's favor by doing all the right stuff, by, by keeping all these laws. And yet at the end of the day, what God really wants is your heart and your faith and your trust and your dependence. And in the moments in which we fall, and we find ourselves in the wilderness, and you say, I have been so unfaithful. Maybe you're here this morning. You've been far from God for so long. The good news that Jesus Christ came to bring is that he said, I will go into the wilderness for you. I will be tempted on your behalf. I will ward off Satan with my trust in the Heavenly Father. And then simply through your faith in me, I will give that all to you. The wonder of the good news is that Christ has done everything on your behalf so that you can have everything in your life that God offers simply through trusting in him. Church, let's be faithful, but when we fall, let's trust Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for uh, this morning. God, I thank you for how clear your word is. I thank you for um, how it ministers to us in the moments that we have needs. I pray, God, that for people in this room who might be finding themselves in a wilderness, God, I, I pray you would just remind them that, God, that can end, that that season can come to a close, and that it can come to a close by trusting in you. God, it's so amazing that, that all you ask us to do is just to trust you. God, that you do all the work on our behalf, that you, you ward off Satan in the desert on our behalf, that, that you, you prepare this promised land for us on our behalf, that you free us from the slavery that we get entangled in. God, that you break our chains and you do all these things on our behalf and all you have ever asked of us is that we would trust you in this life that you've given us. God, we thank you for this wilderness story and for how it reminds us that you are faithful to your people, that you love us, and that you're with us. I pray for all these wonderful people that I'm gathered with this morning. I pray that you would bless them through hearing this story and through applying the love that they see in it, your love, to their life. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.